0: Welcome to episode 211 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm energy and climate journalist, Markham Heslop. We've been doing a fair number of interviews lately on batteries, and there's good reason for that. Batteries are at the very heart of the energy transition. We are switching from fossil fuels as the you know, 80% or so of our Global primary energy and a lot of that is going to be shifted over to electricity we're going to electrify our economies and that electricity will be provided by low emissions uh, technologies like wind and solar and batteries and and geothermal and hydro and and what have you. But batteries are really at the at the center of this because they go into uh, power grids, they go into electric vehicles, uh, elect- uh, as we electrify our homes more, they'll be important there. And so um, I want to provide insights into batteries. And we really haven't talked to battery developers uh, since the Uh, the United States brought in the uh, U.S. Inflation Reduction Act and a number of other related uh, clean energy industry acts. Uh, But this has been developing a North American battery industry has become a critical part of the economic policy and frankly, the foreign and and trade policies of the United States. And so I'm going to talk today to Dr. Ramez Al-Gamal, uh, who's the VP of Technology at the Core Tech Group, Ann Arbor, Michigan? So, welcome to the interviewer, Ms.
1: Oh, thank you for the introduction, Markham.
0: Now, in addition to being the VP of Technology for CoreTech, you also are at the University of uh, Tennessee. Can you tell us a little bit about your work there?
1: Sure. Uh, so, at the University of Tennessee, I work on a wide variety of energy storage projects, anywhere from redox flow batteries to uh, developing some metal air batteries, some some lithium-ion work as well. Um, That's on the battery side. And and on the energy um, generation side, I've I've done some work on fuel cells, uh, both alkaline and kind of uh, nuanced type of solid acid fuel cells, and more recently some work on electrolyzers.
0: Is there uh, like I understand, you know, China dominates uh, battery uh, manufacturing and the supply chain, battery metals, critical minerals, all of all of that stuff. And the United States has identified I, I, you know, I joke often on this the podcast about how it's like the United States woke up in 2020 and went, hey, hang on a second. We got this emerging industry that's going to be this is like World War Two when the U.S. came out of the World War Two as the preeminent industrial power. And manufacturing power in the world. And suddenly the U.S. has woke up in 2020 and went, hang on a second, that's now China. We've got this emerging clean energy industry and they're really kicking our butts. And we need, we if we're going to have energy security and we're going to play in this sandbox, we need to, we need to compete. And so the various pieces of legislation that the Biden administration and Congress have passed, you know, it probably will be over a trillion dollars to support the development of various types of industry, including batteries. How important has the political recognition and the higher public profile and the funding that's available to the battery industry in the U.S.? How important is that for us?
1: I mean, I, I believe that it's critical. I mean, so not only has it brought that information or that uh, into the public sphere, getting people talking about it, but but really uh, having policies that reflect the, the the needs for electrification and and developing some of that that technology domestically, n- not just with the technology development which has been happening uh, essentially since the inception of of lithium ion batteries, but really having the infrastructure in place to have d- domestic production. Uh, in in the United states is, is critical because uh without that uh having to rely on on uh, global supply chains and and as we saw uh which really dictates the the, the types of, of battery chemistries that that can be developed uh the the shift away from cobalt uh because of where cobalt is sourced and, and the geopolitical issues that that reflect that not only uh, affect the price, but also the the reliability and availability of that. So the thinking about how to best uh, shape the battery market and, and what we can do domestically, not just in, in production, but in, in re- recycling of, 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 of batteries is important.
0: I, I have a, a hypothesis, we'll call it, that I'd like to run by you and we know that um that china is uh dominates the battery industry and there are a couple of their companies like catl that are dominant not just on you know uh the uh manufacturing at scale of lithium-ion batteries but they're also at the forefront of new chemistries and, uh, and new battery technologies but Given the amount of work that's already being done in the U.S., like companies like Cortec and the U.S. government's determination that we're going to build a a battery industry in the U.S., is there, is it possible that innovation will be the thing that allows the U.S. to, North America, I guess, kind of be part of this, but to catch up to China and maybe even eventually to overtake China in the battery industry?
1: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that that's certainly an, an interesting question. So, I mean, I, I think what it would take to uh, catch up and overtake China would be an aggressive approach that is going to take more than just government uh, involvement. It's going to require... Uh, Companies like the Cortec Group to uh, develop materials that that are are not just competitive from a performance standpoint, but also uh, that could be manufactured at a price that that's competitive. And, and really thinking strategically about how to uh, say m- manufacture materials for for the battery industry. So if we look at say, the semiconductor industry, a lot of that. Uh, manufacturing did happen in the. US at some point and, and now has shifted to Asia. So uh, being kind of creative and in, in, in thinking about um, how to make it an, an, an initiative to have a, a, an advanced manufacturing approach uh, that that can really bring things back to shore, I, I think will be a step in, in helping uh, catch up to, to China. Uh, the timeline for that is unclear, though.
0: Yeah, fair enough. I mean, the U.S. is, well, everybody really is starting well back of the start. Uh, uh, well, it's like we've given China a few laps in this race to get ahead of us. And 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 now it's it, catching up is just going to take a while. That That's uh, the way it goes. Um, now, let's talk about coretech and the, tech, the silicon anode technology that you folks are developing. What makes your anode technology important?
1: So, uh, I guess, so as you probably know, one of the things that's been challenging to, uh, to really commercialize si- silicon anode technology has been, um, the, the pulverization that happens, what, when, when the silicon anode is charging and discharging. So that cycling causes, uh, a, a loss of performance so that that's one of the, the big challenges so what the Cortec group is doing with their enduring approach is is thinking about ways to coat the silicon particles in such a way that the the swelling that happens during uh cycling is mitigated and that that coating also has a, a few elements in it that will improve the performance specifically on the fast charging side to provide pathways for that are, that are kind of built in for um, lithium-ion conduction, and so so it, it's this approach where um, it, it's called it at least the the parlance in, in battery terms is an artificial SEI. So we're we're engineering a coating to improve the stability, so not just from the swelling, but also the the reactions with the the electrolyte, which can cause decomposition and, and further degradation of the, the battery
0: once you've developed this anode and it's ready for market uh will that technology be adapted to solid state batteries
1: uh, we believe it will be yes so because the the silicon is, is fairly well suited for uh for for solid state batteries uh, so I, I guess back to your earlier question on the, the manufacturing side of things so uh so it may require some innovations in, in 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 changes to a manufacturing process so ideally we like to think of ourselves as as developing uh, a drop-in replacement for uh for replacing graphite with with um, a silicon-based anode but but uh, for a solid state battery so that that manufacturing is slightly different uh it's where you have to really think carefully about how to take that solid state electrolyte and have the interface with that and, and the electrode both the, the anode and the cathode uh, be done in such a way to have a a, a robust performance. So.
0: Are there other countries that are developing silicon anodes?
1: There are. So I mean that it's it's certainly happening uh, in there're several uh companies that, that have popped up in europe some startup companies uh there are uh cer- certainly companies in, in asia i know that uh, some of the the large incumbent uh companies like samsung uh lg chem are are, are working in this as well so it, it, everyone's taking a slightly different approach uh uh just due to the, the, the nature of having that competitive landscape but 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 yeah it's um, silicon is has been a an, an attractive alternative anode for for some time. It's just uh, coming up with ways to have not only something that performs well, but also at a cost that is uh,
0: competitive. What are the advantages of a, excuse me, of a silicon anode?
1: So. So the traditional, I guess, lithium ion batteries that, that use graphite. So uh, the graphite ha- has uh, say a, a lithium storage capacity some on, on the order of 370 or, or so milliamp hours per, per gram. If you look at silicon, uh, so th- that has 10 times the the lithium storage capacity. So the right away, uh, if, if you have, Say a battery that that's made with a silicon anode and compare that to a, a graphite anode uh, in the same volume. Uh, if you're thinking about an EV, you'll be able to uh, have significantly more storage. So uh, for that, which will increase uh, the the volumetric and, and gravimetric energy density, so that uh, you have larger range, say for an EV or Uh, your cell phone battery instead of lasting a day might last three days.
0: I I can see where this would be a big advantage in the, in the uh, EV market because, you know, we're up to an average pretty close to 500 kilometers now, 300 miles down south of the border. Uh, But, you know, that's still, I mean, if you drive faster or if it's colder or hotter you lose range and, and people are, are worried about that. And then there's the charging infrastructure. But if you're successful and, and you don't have to be 10 times, but even if it was two or three times uh, more uh, energy density in that battery, uh, you could see where you could have very small batteries uh, for for cheaper cars. Uh, you could charge them quicker. So maybe you don't need big batteries with long range, but it, it, it seems to open up all sorts of possibilities to build you know different kind of batteries for different kinds of vehicles that suit that suit budgets and and so on in a way that we we can't do now which would be a, a major step forward for the electrification of transportation
1: certainly yeah I mean I and mean, that's why it's uh there's a bit a, a big need for for developing new types of, of battery chemistries and and silicon is what, one of the the materials that is at the forefront of that for, for, for those reasons. Uh, you mentioned cold temperatures. I know that, uh, but let's see, last year, uh, RPE, which is uh, part of the Department of Energy, had released a program called EVs for All, uh, uh, because in, in the DOE, at least in, in their mind, uh, thinking another impediment to widespread EV adoption is this issue of of reduced range and, and difficulties with charging at, at low temperatures. So I, that's a, certainly a problem in, in the northern parts of the United States or in the winter. I imagine Canada as well. Uh, so silicon um, certainly offers some advantages over graphite, at least in, in terms of, of low temperature operation, just because the, the lithium plating issues that exist with, with traditional graphite anodes uh, are much less likely with silicon. So,
0: based on your understanding of the of the industry, um, how how much innovation is going on at the moment? Like my impression as a as a journalist, you know, talking to folks like you uh, on a regular basis. But I don't have any technical background. I'm not an engineer, or a, a camp, electrochemist, any of that stuff. But my impression is that the battery industry has be, has expanded. it's enormously innovative. We're going to be you know the, the advances in the science, the advances in in manufacturing capability, in the other technologies that are related to, to batteries. Uh, this is akin to, you know, the early days of the internal combustion engine. And there's lots of runway left. For innovation and improvements to the technology, is that a fair observation?
1: It is certainly, and I mean, I mean, wh- one way to gauge this. So, I mean, aside from from looking at, at new new companies that are being uh, uh, spun out to uh, try to commercialize uh, these technologies, is to take a look at uh, the volume of scientific literature. So, if you look at say publications in, in in an area you can kind of track uh or at least use, use that as a forecasting tool to uh, to guess w- which areas might innovate uh, next because uh, a, lo- a lot of the the, the breakthroughs happen at, at universities and and then so that uh, uh, the universities through uh, tech transfer uh, result in in uh, the the startup companies being formed and spun out of universities and and innovation happens there as as well as in, in in large companies. So, so there, there is lots of innovation happening and you, you can kind of see that uh, increasing almost um, exponentially uh, over the last decade.
0: Where, um, give me a sense of the timeline when some of these new, you know, the new chemistries, maybe your, uh, silicone, uh, anode, when are they going to hit the market? Uh, it, you know, are we talking about later this decade, uh, early 2030s? What's your sense of that? uh <laughs> I,
1: I, I wish I had a crystal ball. Uh, that, that's hard to say. So, I mean, uh, I mean, you'd like to see, uh, a technology roadmap that say a, a company develops where, where they're um, making improvements in in the technology and in getting it, it to the point where it's uh, it, it's ready for commercialization and th- those timelines are uh, typically five to ten years. So uh, so and if you look at what's happened traditionally, um, I, I know solid state batteries have also been talked about uh, is being uh, the next big thing. And it, it, it's taken quite a bit of time. So, I mean, aside from uh, the getting the performance to where, where it needs to be, having it done at a, at a cost uh, that is acceptable to the market, as well as uh, safety and regulatory issues, uh, uh, I'd say deployment from something that's, where you're in a, say, a pseudo pilot scale to, to get it out to the market is, is something on the order of five to 10 years.
0: So. Oh, okay. But, but that's, you know, given the timelines we're talking about, that doesn't strike me uh, as a significantly long time. I mean, there's so much coming to the market and so many improvements on a regular basis that, you know, if we, anyway, uh but I wanted to t- talk about something else that I find very interesting, and and it comes out of my reading of uh, economist uh, Mariana Mazzucato, uh, who there's a great line in one of her books, and I can't remember which one it is, but she said, when it comes to developing new technologies, don't listen to what the Americans say, look at what they do. And one of the things they do is that American governments, but particularly the federal government, spends an enormous amount on science on the basic science around new technologies then supporting those uh, those new technologies as they come off the lab bench and then they go out at the demonstration projects and basically de-risking the technology process and this has been the source of america's uh, lead in innovation for decades and in our chat before the interview started uh, remez we were talking about you know the work that you do you have a relationship with one of the big American uh, uh, labs, for, funded by the Department of Energy, and it seems to me that those labs, and I've interviewed a number of their their scientists, uh, but what a competitive advantage! Because it's 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 like it's you know it's it's like a, uh, a double A ball team, right? Mm-hmm. You got a good farm system. And, and eventually uh, a lot of those players are going to w- work their way up to the, to, to the major leagues, to the big, to, to the, to the show. Uh, but you need the farm system, the development, that's, that's key. And those, what role do those laboratories play and what role have they has, have they played uh, in the development of Cortex technologies?
1: Well, so I, I guess more generally, uh, so the, the national labs in the United States play a, a critical role. So the so the, the national labs are primarily uh, Department of Energy funded. Uh, so certainly a lot of of Oak Ridge National Labs money, which is just down the road from me, uh, uh, comes from the the DOE and 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 so the and the facilities that exist in in the national lab system uh, are. I'll say certainly a lot better than than you're going to find in 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 most even very large companies, just because the of instrumentation that costs sometimes millions of dollars uh, that's not in in, in the R and D budget for for <laughs> for many many companies, and so it's really you, you can kind of think of of the national lab system as incubation space for uh, for. A lot of these ideas, and and then certainly, um, a big focus over the past decade or so in, in the national lab system has been, has uh, been in in technology transfer. So trying trying to take ideas that and technologies that have been developed in in, in a national lab and and uh, try to get them to spin out into to new companies and and have the innovation uh, be be carried forward there and in it in a in a separate space that uh is more well suited for for ramping something up and so i mean w- with regard to the the cortec group uh so certainly uh, we we do have some plans to uh have partnerships with w- with national labs so uh th- there are there are vehicles uh called craters which are um uh, Opportunities for corporations to to partner with national labs for for characterization and some development of of, of, of work there. So th- those are those are opportunities that exist for co- companies like uh, like ours uh, to to take advantage of, of resources that that exist.
0: Okay, so we've got the national labs, which are a tremendous resource, and you've got one just down the road from you, uh, and now we've got the federal government. Putting in enormous sums uh, through the IRA and other legislation uh, into the industry for development and commercialization, um, does that money kind of supercharge all the work that's that's being done, uh, partly in conjunction with the labs?
1: It, it does. So I mean, so that so there's money that's available for uh, for for corporations. Uh, there's money that's available for universities to, uh, uh, to to get grants to to continue doing re- research so uh so all, all of that uh that has been part of the, the inflation reduction act uh ha- has been uh, a, a really big part in, in terms of of really spurring uh de- development and creating some excitement uh around uh around battery development not just battery development but al- also uh clean energy in general so uh so uh, clean fuel development uh electrolyzer development so uh so that, that entire infrastructure of 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 clean energy uh is, is really uh taking off because of of things like the ira
0: is there, uh, and, and I, I come at this from interviews that I've done with uh, with academics, uh, you know, scientists who are working at universities, uh, you know, like yourself, and and they talk about how important it is to have a pipeline of PhD students you know budding scientists uh, engineers uh, researchers in related fields maybe it's materials uh, that sort of thing so are you seeing that ecosystem you know that is there a pipeline into that ecosystem and it's growing to support all of the, the the science and the the work that needs to be done
1: there is i mean i, I i've noticed said uh, here at, at the University of Tennessee, for example, in an uptick in the the, the number of uh, of graduate students that, that are applying to be um, part of the the department that I'm in. And uh, so I mean, I think the same is true for for, for other universities where uh, student so young students are, are recognizing the opportunities that that exist in 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 this field and and certainly, um if you look at, at battery science or or the energy sciences in general, it, it it's going to require a multi multidisciplinary effort. So we need we need chemists, we need material scientists, we need engineers of of all flavors so so electrical, mechanical, chemical engineers to, to all come together and, and and work on on this problem and to, to produce something that's that's actually meaningful and that has a, a good chance for success commercially.
0: I'm going to ask you a question. You may not have an answer for this. This may not be in your uh, wheelhouse, but I want to ask it because it came up during the World Petroleum Congress, which was in Calgary uh, in September. And I went to a session that was chaired by Dr. Ibrahim Abba from Saudi Aramco. He was their VP of technology. And then it had three other material scientists. And Something I had never heard before, and they said, you know what, yeah, yeah, there's an energy transition, but you know what, there's also a materials transition, and we're developing all these really cool uh, materials that are going to solve many of the problems that you know uh, come up in the advancement of these other technologies, and I, I wonder if you have a, a take or an insight into this idea of a materials transition.
1: I do actually. So, uh, so the the National Science Foundation uh, is is playing a, a very big role in the creation of of uh, something called the Materials Genome uh, Project. Where, so it, it's essentially the analog of of the human genome uh, that w- which was mapped and, and has led to um, a, a lot of uh, development in in the medical field. So, but in the Materials Genome where there's a concerted effort now uh, to have scientists and engineers essentially input their findings into a a database uh, and so which then can be used by say advanced computing like uh, artificial intelligence machine learning all all these new computing technologies to, to really be able to to try to make predictive statements or predict predictions on, on on new material properties to to facilitate uh, uh, battery development, or, for example. So and that's playing a, a critical role in in specifically in the the design of, of solid electrolyte materials. So so as just one one example. So so really the this new materials innovation. Uh, is is going to be supplemented a lot by advanced computing and and as as computing gets better and better uh these predictive tools are going to be an essential part in in the development of of new types of materials
0: so basically we're talking about artificial intelligence that's going to you might have a billion potential combinations for how for a particular chemistry and the AI will help you sort through which ones have the most potential, so that it's not a, a trial and error process anymore. You can use AI to narrow down to the top X number of of chemistry, and then you can do more more re- more focused research. Have I got that right?
1: That's right. And and, and there and there's a a few companies that, that have have popped up recently uh, that whose focus is 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 AI approaches to, to materials development and, and they're attracting a lot of attention and a lot of funding for that.
0: Yeah, I, I can see why. I'm going to ask you another materials-related question and, and this, again, might be out of your your, uh, your wheelhouse, so uh, don't be afraid to to say if it is. But in Canada, uh, in Alberta in particular, they, they have uh, bitumen deposits that you just don't find anyplace else. So Venezuela would be the only... Uh, potential the only one that has anything like it and bitumen what i've uh, learned from the uh the chemistry uh the chemist uh, has a very unique molecular structure it, it makes it a wonderful uh feedstock uh for advanced materials manufacturing and and i wonder uh if what your take is on the potential for hydrocarbons and you know bitumen might be one of those that could become feedstock for this materials transition we're talking about.
1: So that, that is something that, that, that I don't know uh, very much about. Uh, so unfortunately uh, I, I don't have a good answer for that.
0: <laughs> fair fair enough. I, I've thrown a bunch <laughs> of stuff at you, it, it, you. There had to be one There had to be one that just wasn't in your, in, in your area of ex, expertise. So, uh, to wrap up our conversation ramis um what what does the prospect for a really viable vibrant competitive battery industry in the united states look like
1: so in in my mind so i mean what, what that looks like is uh the in technology that was uh developed uh its inception uh, by a U.S. company uh, that's using materials that are easily sourced either domestically or where there is a uh, robust pipeline or supply chain for for that to to happen and with a uh, price that is marching sub 100 kilo dollars per kilowatt hour that all, all all inclusive that uh can can really help uh spur the, the electrification uh that's that people want uh forward.
0: Gotcha. And so uh does it look in your opinion uh is that kind of industry in its infancy is it a toddler? uh, where in the life cycle is it?
1: So, I mean, I, I, would say it's, uh, I have an eight year old, so I, I, I'd say it, we're, we're probably, uh, still in elementary school, but we're, 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 getting there. So, I mean, I mean, certainly companies like, um uh, Tesla that, that are, are building gigafactories, uh, that there's a lot of, learn knowledge that 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 comes from initiatives like like Tesla has taken and and um, I I think that's gonna going be part of the uh, <clears throat> part of the uh step for, forward to, to, to really uh play a, a key role in in the United States becoming uh, a manufacturing hub.
0: Well, let's talk about Tesla for a minute. I, I remember interviewing a battery uh, expert about 12 to 18 months ago, and they said that uh, Tesla probably has at least a two-year technology uh, lead over even the Chinese. And given the fact that that's an American company... Um, I guess maybe this is probably not the forum to talk about Elon Musk, but nevertheless, let's talk about Tesla. So, given that, that Tesla has kind of emerged as a national, well, really an international champion, a leader in the uh, in the EV industry, the what advantage does that give the United States uh, in in building that nascent battery industry we're talking about?
1: So at least in my mind, the advantages um, that it gives the U.S. is So, I mean, a a lot of that uh, manufacturing in in, in R&D have happened in in the U.S. And and so, and there is, I mean, Tesla has employed a a lot of people and and some of those people that have have been, uh, I, I guess, critical to Tesla's success have gone off and um so the ones that are, are, are no longer with tesla have gone off and have helped start other battery companies and other materials companies so there's a, a lot of in, in inherited knowledge that that exists on the soil uh, of the us already and uh so in and people that have been part of 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 the the aggressive efforts that that, that tesla has has taken so i think that so that 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 unique uh, perspective on 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 this I, I idea of uh, the, the gigafactory, and and now the gigafactories are starting to pop up in in, in Europe, uh, but but the uh, the initiatives that, that te- Tesla has taken er- early on, I I think it has uh, given the U.S. some some advantage there because there's a a lot of that institutional knowledge that, that exists here domestically.
0: Well, Ramez, this has been a fascinating conversation and you've given me a a number of insights into what's going on in the U S and good luck with, uh, with Cortec. Thank you very much for this.
1: Oh, yep. Thank you for the opportunity, Mark. It's nice to talk to you.